Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. So right now there is a heatwave here in the UK and when I say heatwave I mean it's like 30 degrees Celsius. I know people who are following me or listening from other areas of the world where it's very hot are probably going to laugh over us struggling with this temperature. But I swear 30 degrees Celsius in London feels like 40 degrees Celsius. Also, I have autonomic dysfunction, so my body don't regulate my body temperature properly, so I really do not handle heat. I'm struggling. Anyways, part of why I'm bringing this up is because one thing I've noticed is that when it gets really warm and I feel really just not feeling great, I notice that my appetite will go down a bit. And during those moments, I kind of have to just eat mechanically. And I have spoken about the concept of mechanical eating before. The concept of eating, even though you're not necessarily super hungry or have a lot of mental or physical hunger, but eating because you know that you need food. And I've been discussing how I believe that in recovery, this is incredibly helpful, but the fact that it also may be applicable beyond recovery. And overall, that the idea that eating must always be incredibly rewarding or it needs to be scheduled in, you're sitting there, everything is perfect, everything is great, that is not necessarily realistic and can actually reinforce food perfectionism and food focus. And this made me think of the concept of mindful eating in eating disorder recovery and how this is very often being presented as basically the solution to eating disorders. Especially if you're someone who is having binge eating episodes, which we know that the majority of people with eating disorders have or will eventually have. Of course, not everyone, but majority of people. Statistically speaking, if you take 100 people with an eating disorder in a room, a large proportion of them will have a binge eating disorder, bulimia, anorexia nervosa, binge purge type, or other unspecified eating disorders or disordered eating that involve binge patterns. And even in people with eating disorders who have, for example, restrictive type anorexia, we also know that a large proportion of them will go on to develop extreme hunger, which then can develop into bulimia or binge eating disorder if people are not fully giving into their extreme hunger and instead ending up with this compensate or purge or overexercise pattern, which I have discussed more in past episodes many times. It's one topic that I find very, very interesting and love to talk about because I think it can be avoided, right? If people are aware what's going on with them, that extreme hunger is real, then I think a lot of these cases could have been avoided. And also if treatment professionals were better at informing their clients, oh, this, hey, this is what's going on. It is normal, it's okay, it will pass, rather than just reinforcing that fear by being like, oh, are you sure you're not eating your feelings now, right? Anyways, that is for a different episode. And again, I have made a lot of episodes on that. But anyways, guys, back to mindful eating. So mindful eating is essentially this thing of eating mindfully, self-explanatory. And it's very often being used as this antidote to binging because the idea is that if you're binging, if you are instead just eating slow and really focusing on the food, then you won't binge. And this is often being used as this suggested antidote to eating disorders involving binge eating because we know that binge eating often includes eating very fast and not really necessarily tasting the food. It's just you're a bit of in a bit of a trance and yeah, it's like you're being possessed by a hunger demon, right? So then logically it's like, yeah, if you are eating very fast and you're not really tasting the food and you just you know, in that food trance, right? Then wouldn't the antidote be to instead sit down, eating more mindfully, really tasting the food? Wouldn't that make complete sense? And here's the thing. It may seem like it makes sense on the surface, 
But what you very often see is when someone is experiencing binge eating, we see that it actually is reactive hunger and reactive eating, right? So it is rooted in restriction. Therefore, no amount of mindful eating is necessarily going to take away when actually restriction is the underlying issue rather than someone just not paying enough attention to their food. It's a bit like, imagine if someone is extremely dehydrated, right? And then you see they chug down water and then you're like, hey, 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 wait a minute, slow down. Let's drink this water really mindfully and slowly and really taste the water. It's kind of like, I mean, yeah, I could do that, but... I'm dehydrated, so I'm really thirsty, and I kind of just want to chug down this water to correct that dehydration, because there's nothing wrong with correcting the state of dehydration, right? And by being like, oh, no, 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 you can't drink all of that water, have one sip, really taste it. Again, it kind of reinforces this idea that correcting that dehydration state would be something bad. And I think the same thing can go when someone who is binging due to reactive hunger is being told, oh, just eat slowly and mindfully. What I often see with eating disorders across the board is a sense of food perfectionism, right? So this idea that food must be perfect to be worth it. And that you need to really hyper-focus on the food, that you need to eat it very slowly. Sometimes this is rooted in diet culture, this fear that if you are eating too fast, you're accidentally going to eat quote-unquote too much. So at the end of the day, you see a lot of people with eating disorders, they're already extremely mindful when they are eating, and it's not necessarily something that is helping for them. Additionally, I sometimes hear messaging such as, oh, you should not eat in recovery whilst you are doing something else. For example, oh, you shouldn't eat whilst you're watching TV. You should only eat by the dinner table, sitting there, focusing on the food. And I'm just kind of like, but why though? Like, isn't part of recovery being able to just eat normally like a normal person? I don't know. I feel like some of these messaging seems to be rooted with this underlying fear of food and this underlying fear often of fatness as well. It is this idea that if you just let go and eat whatever you want, you will become fat as if that is the worst thing someone can be. And also as if that is how body image and set point works. Thinness is not some kind of reward or price that people get for being restrictive. Yes, for some people, they may have to intentionally suppress their body weight in order to be in a thin body. That is true. But for most thin people, they're thin just because that is their set point. It's just naturally something that happens. It's not something that they have to be like, sorry, guys, I can't join you for movie night because I can only eat at the dinner table alone by myself, taking like 40 minutes to get through my dinner. That is not <laughs> that is not it. And additionally, fatness is not something that immediately is linked to unrestricted eating, right? Yes, there are some people who are naturally fat and they they suppress their body weight through restrictive behaviors. But additionally, there also are people who are fat and are extremely restrictive. But again, I often see that this underlying fear, and you sometimes even see this in treatment professionals, is that freedom, letting go, that sense of just release and taking away the control is going to take you towards the path to fatness and that that is the worst thing you can do or be. When that is not necessarily how body weight works. And even if that is how it works, fatness isn't inherently a bad thing either, right? It's, it's just body type, right? So I think it's important to see here what are the underlying fears amongst not just the client, but also at treatment professionals. 
So yeah, anyways, I see this very often when it seems that treatment professionals are scared of their clients completely letting go of their eating disorders, which of course can be extremely triggering and conflicting if you are someone in eating disorder recovery who actually want to let go and release, right? And then you're being told, oh no, you need to hold on to these little bits of it or something bad is going to happen. But this is not necessarily reflected in reality because we see that as people are actually letting go of that control and restriction, they become more free. And ironically, they become less food obsessed, right? They break that cycle of yo-yo dieting or of recovery, relapse, never-ending cycle of recovering and relapsing, recovering or relapsing one step forward, one step back, right? We see so many people stuck in this exhausting cycle and very often the underlying thought here is I need to hold on to a little bit of my eating disorder to be recovered and that's just an oxymoron. Anyways that was a little bit off topic but I think it can be important sometimes to really investigate what are the underlying fears and messaging here and what are those rooted in. So when it comes to mindful eating originally this was actually used or presented more as an approach to be a mindfulness exercise, right? So some of you may be aware of what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is essentially this approach where you're focusing more on being in the moment, focusing on what is going on around you. And this makes complete sense. I really like that. For example, imagine you're walking your dog, right? How many times do you walk your dog and you just, you don't even remember the walk, right? I had that actually a few days ago when I walked to the park with my dog and I realized when I was in the park that damn I actually don't even remember the path here right I don't remember even walking here because I was not present in any way shape or form I was on autopilot just in a completely different headspace thinking about what needs to be done today thinking about tomorrow thinking about what happened yesterday no 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 my brain was just not there I was not present. And very often we spend large proportions of our time in that state where we are not really present or engaging with what is around us. And this is where the idea of mindfulness comes in, right? Where you, for example, can go on that dog walk mindfully. So that would mean me being really paying attention to my surroundings, looking at the trees on the part there, really paying attention to like maybe the houses that I'm passing, paying attention to that moment I'm sharing with my dog, etc, etc. And this can be a very fun and insightful thing to do. And I really try and do this a lot, especially when I go for like my dog walks, I try to be more present and really like, really pay attention to the smells, to the sights, like the beautiful flowers that I might pass, etc, etc, rather than just being in my own head. So from this thing of mindfulness, right, and being mindful in the moment, they also developed this idea of eating something mindfully, right? So a very common mindfulness exercise then would be taking a raisin, right, and eating it mindfully, right? And this is not about preventing overconsumption of raisins. The underlying messaging here was just being present and trying as a exercise to eat a raisin mindfully, really taste it, really see what's going on, right? And that could be a very fun and enlightening exercise to realize that, whoa, when you really are paying attention to the small everyday things in life, it actually is quite nice and beautiful. Then someone came in and kind of, I think, co-opted a little bit where they developed this idea that eating should always be mindful and you should always be very present. This, I believe, ties a bit into this little branch of intuitive eating, where eating must always be intuitive, you must always hyper-focus on internal cues. And this, of course, just completely diminishes the real point of intuitive eating, which is less hyper-focus on food and more food freedom, at least in my personal opinion. So this is where it suddenly gets murky. 
Because on one hand, that mindfulness exercise of trying to eat a raisin really mindfully or trying to eat a specific thing very mindfully just to try and just to see as a fun experiment in the same way that you maybe do that with going out in your garden and looking at the flowers and smelling them and being present. Problem is with that gets applied to eating overall because then you suddenly are stuck with eating becoming this endless focus, this thing that takes endless amount of time that needs to be perfect and you need to be present. And very often the underlying fear there is not, oh, I don't want to miss out on the beautiful small moments in life. Instead, the underlying messaging or the underlying fear here is often, I must be very mindful to eat as mindfully or slow as presently as possible so I don't quote-unquote accidentally overeat. Because if I do so, I might quote-unquote accidentally gain weight or insert some other eating disorder fear. So can you see the different underlying messaging here? And don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with enjoying food and really tasting it. For example, I remember when I had anorexia binge purge subtype and I had a binge, I wouldn't really taste the foods. I would just eat without being fully present, right? And I did notice that now that I'm eating those same foods, they taste a lot better because I'm, you know, tasting them rather than getting them down as quickly as possible whilst on autopilot, knowing that I'm going to purge them later. But here's the catch. I didn't get to that point by intentionally telling myself, I need to eat as slow as possible, as mindfully as possible. I need to do this to prevent these dangerous binges from happening. That is not how it went down. Instead, I had to refeed myself. And yes, I had to go through a period where I was extremely hungry and I had to eat some food non-mindfully because that was part of recovery. So in order to get to more mindful or present or enjoyable eating, I had to go through a period where eating was not really that mindful at all. It was quite mindless. In some bizarre way, I had to go through the binging to stop binging. And I think if I had been endlessly told I must eat all my meals as slow as possible, be as present as possible and be careful so it doesn't become too much, I think I would probably still have been binging. That's the paradox of it, right? because it would have reinforced this food scarcity mindset. Instead, I had to show myself that food was an available resource, that I could eat whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, and that by doing so, the urges to binge and to just eat foods without tasting them super quick would eventually alleviate. But I couldn't get to that point just by sitting there and thinking and going some kind of spiritual path or meditating or being mindful, right? I had to actually go through it and correct the underlying driving factor of these binges, which was undernourishment and restriction and being under my set point weight. And I think this is where it gets dangerous, right? For example, someone is a practitioner and they have a client who is in a binge purge cycle or binge restrict cycle. And then instead of focusing on getting rid of the underlying driver, which is the restriction in the majority of cases, I discussed this in the episode I did with Sarah Francis Young about, you know, binge eating disorder and if that is a restrictive eating disorder with both of us and we've been in this area for a long time, we were like, we neither of us have really seen a case of binge eating disorder or binge cycles that don't have or have had some levels of restriction involved, right? Very interesting. And when it comes to this, I will actually publish an article this week on my Substack about binge eating disorder and if it is a restrictive eating disorder, where I discuss a bit some of the things we spoke about in that episode and also discuss just a few more insights that I have around this topic. 
so definitely head to my substack let's recover.substack.com if you haven't already and subscribe and then you will get it straight into your email inbox for free when it's out so anyways i fear that by hyper focusing on mindful eating in someone who is binging as a result of there being restriction involved rather than targeting the restriction can become a bit problematic because it doesn't really take away the binges if you have urges to just chug down two buckets of ice cream in 10 minutes then chances are more mindfulness is not necessarily going to help chances are that there is an underlying restriction driving these urges or maybe you're just having a day where you're quite hungry which is also fine we don't always need to pathologize it right and that by saying oh no you must eat this mindfully you're essentially saying hey eating is wrong and eating must be perfect to be worth it very often mealtimes can become very ritualistic in people with eating disorders where they have strict rituals about how to eat, when to eat, what plate to use, they need to eat as slow as possible, drag out the meals, and sometimes also using high volume foods just to drag out the mealtimes and get more food for the calories. These are restrictive behaviors. And by doing so, you're essentially signalizing to your body and brain that food is a scarce resource, which paradoxically increases focus on food. Sometimes I will have clients come to me and they have a specific food that they are really weird around, right? They just notice that whenever they have this food in the house, they will so-called binge on it. They will just eat it super fast, eat large quantities of it. And they come to me like, hey, can you help me be more normal with this food? And very often what they have done in the past or tried in the past is, you know, either limiting this particular food or trying to eat it as mindfully and slowly as possible or finding diet food replacements of this food. But my approach will tend to be, hey, actually, how can we implement as much as possible of this food? So imagine, for example, someone's food is chocolate, right? They find that whenever they're around chocolate, they feel like they can't control themselves. They just have to eat as much as chocolate as possible, as quick as possible. Oh my goodness, what is happening? I am addicted to chocolate. No, I'm addicted to sugar. Sugar is dangerous. This is dangerous. It's like cocaine in the brain. No, no, no. Or the fear mongering, I have heard it. And the best way to start acting addictive towards a certain food is to restrict yourself and restrict yourself, especially from that food. So essentially what I will tend to do with those specific clients is not telling them, okay, let's eat this chocolate as slowly as possible. Let's focus as much as possible. Let's make it this ritualistic thing. Instead, I tell them, okay, take a look at what you eat in, in the day, right? So you start off, maybe you have some coffee in the morning. Okay, have some chocolate with your coffee, right? And then, okay, there you're on the go to get to work. Okay, grab a chocolate bar from the train station. Oh, you're having a lunch of oats? Okay, put some chocolate on those oats. Okay, off to dinner, dessert, chocolate for dessert, right? And basically implement it consistently. And I think this consistency part is important because sometimes people, they kind of just make it more ritualistic by only allowing themselves a certain food at a certain time. For example, oh, I can have chocolate, but only at night and only under the specific time frame or this specific day, which again can reinforce the restrictive mindset. So instead actually just implementing it throughout the day. Another trick I often say is, again, for example, buying, let's say if you have chocolate with this, your weird food, right? The food that you're quite weird around, can't control yourself around. Actually, just for the next week or so, weeks or so, have like an open bar of, for example, Maltesers on your desk and just allow yourself to snack on them. And yes, in the beginning, you're probably going to find that you eat that bag very, very fast. 
But then gradually you become so used to their being available in abundance that eventually you notice that, oh, actually, I feel fine now. I can have it on the desk and not really think that much about it. Have a bit now and then. And please be mindful when doing this that you don't restrict yourself in for other foods, right? Sometimes people are like, okay, I'm going to make peace with chocolate. Therefore, I'm going to restrict all other foods and not allow myself dinner because oh, I had so much chocolate, so I shouldn't have dinner. No, no, no. Again, don't let your eating disorder trick you into this becoming restrictive. And once you are at a point where you realize that, you know what, I'm pretty pretty chill about foods, then yeah, of course, you can try the mindful eating experiment as in eating a raisin or a Maltesers really mindfully and really tasting it and having fun with that. But that doesn't need that doesn't mean that this is the way to eat every meal, because that would essentially just reinforce food focus, food obsession, food taking over your schedule, your day, your time and really limit you socially. Imagine being that person who has to decline a movie night because you need to go home and eat, or sitting there across the lunch table and dragging out the food. These are not normal recovered behaviors. Recovered or people without eating disorders don't do this, so why should you? Why does recovery have to mean for you all sorts of weird rules about, oh, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, I can't be in that situation because, oh, it might offset a binge. Yeah, but why is it offsetting a binge? Is there a restrictive element here that is underlying? And could it be that if you're someone who's constantly fighting urges to binge, what is it that actually is driving that? Because people without eating disorders are completely non-restrictive, don't constantly walk around on eggshells trying to prevent themselves from binge. And if they are, they probably are invested in diet culture. And this can become so mind-blowing for people with eating disorders to realize, because very often people with eating disorder in eating disorders, especially eating disorders that are in like binge purge or binge restrict cycles, they assume that everyone else feels this exact same way, that everyone else is just always feeling like eating, you know, five tubs of ice cream in a row, but they're just restraining themselves from doing so. But this is not the case. One of the most probably seemingly counterproductive exercises that I give often to clients, including I've done this with the, my group coaching participants, where I have actually told them and encouraged them, try and eat something mindlessly. For example, you are on the go and you are just grabbing a chocolate bar and you're looking at your phone at the same time. You're not tasting the bar, you are just eating. And I can already hear the holistic health coaches throwing a tantrum in the background right now, but hear me out. Part of being recovered and truly being at peace with food is also at times food being mindless and be something you just grab because you don't even know why. Maybe because you are on the go and you need to grab something. Maybe because you were bored. Yes, oh my God, I said it. It is okay to just grab some food food because you're bored we all do it it's a normal behavior come on guys normal people do these things all the time and then people with eating disorders for that group it should be pathologized this is the group that needs it the most i don't know guys i just sometimes get get concerned when i see things such as eating in front of the computer or snacking on the go or all of these things that are just completely normal behaviors get pathologized for people with eating disorders or get assumed to be oh it's emotional eating oh it's boredom eating be careful because again i think that first of all i believe that this narrative is just harmful for people in general but for people with eating disorders who are already terrified of this come on Come on. It's like telling someone with a dog phobia, oh, 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 hey, stay away, stay away. Oh, don't go clo too close to the dog park. You don't want to get too dog obsessed. Oh my God, what if you make friends with the dog? It's like, yeah, I mean, so? <laughs> so? I don't know, guys. I've just seen a pattern where I will say something that make complete sense to the layperson who don't know much about eating disorders, such as it's okay to, you know, just go grab some popcorn because you're kind of bored and I'm going to go watch a movie without you being super hungry. Like I say this to someone like, for example, my partner, it would be like, 
yeah, duh, obviously, we do that all the time, <laughs> you know? But then sometimes it seems that the people who are working in eating disorder fields suddenly would be like, oh, whoa, 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 no, 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 intuitive eating, mindful eating, be careful. And I wonder if this is really productive or if this is just reinforcing fears further and reinforce this idea that you need to be careful around food. You need to stay a bit on edge, be supervising, be hyper-focusing on your internal cues, whether that is, oh, are you really tasting this food and being as present as possible? Oh my God, if you're more mindful, you might realize that you secretly want the carrot, not the cookie. Oh, you want the cookie? No, 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 no. Focus more. You want the carrot. Oh, are you really hungry or are you just bored? Oh, eating when you're bored? No, 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 no. You can do anything when you're bored except eating. Eating is a dangerous activity to do when you're bored. Can never do that. Nobody ever does that. Oh, they do? Hmm. And I sometimes wonder if this is because some people who may be attracted to work in these fields maybe have a bit of a strange relationship with food themselves. So for them, it is completely natural, this idea that food and eating is something you need to control a little bit or control your weight a little bit. And then they kind of put that over on their clients. I don't know, guys. It's just been something I've been observing a lot that has been bothering me a little bit because I don't think it helps the people that we are looking to help with this messaging. And I think maybe it is people having some unhealed issues themselves around food and they're kind of projecting it and just assuming that, oh, of course, this this is just normal, right? But that is why I think it is so important to have people in your life that are completely non-restrictive eaters. And I'm very grateful that in my personal life, I'm around people all the time who never had an eating disorder, don't really know much about them, who can sometimes give me that like layperson check. Because sometimes I wonder like, hey, am I just the only recovered person here who actually think it's fine if I'm a little bit bored and I just kind of want to snack on something without being hungry I go do that so actually having people that also do that and say that's okay and normal can sometimes be helpful because sometimes if I enter recovery spaces I'll see these exact same behaviors sometimes being pathologized and I'm like what is this why what are we fearing here what are we not talking about what is underlying here and i feel like it just so often goes back to diet culture and fat phobia like oh god it's just always ties back to that doesn't it support for an eating disorder is absolutely crucial but i do sometimes feel concerned about the ways eating disorder treatment professionals and the field overall sometimes some not all but some of them will just complicate eating endlessly and pathologize completely normal behaviors and i believe that mindful eating and the focus on that can be one way where that can manifest And maybe that's not what people need to hear or what people need to do. Maybe instead you need less hyper-focus on food being perfect and amazing and the most rewarding thing ever. Maybe you instead need to just eat. And need to let eating be a bit imperfect and messy and learn as you're going on. Okay guys, these were just some of my thoughts. A little bit of a stream of thoughts there, guys. And I would also love to hear what your guys' thoughts are. What do you feel about focus on mindful eating or eating things slow or not having any so-called distractions while you're eating? Do you find that this is helpful? Some people may do, and I would love to hear about that. Or do you find that it just reinforces the eating disorder's belief that food must be extremely rewarding and perfect and you need to be careful so you don't quote-unquote accidentally eat too much? And also, what are your experiences in terms of treatment professionals? Do you feel like your treatment professionals will sometimes hold you back in this arena? Or do you find that they actually push for more normalized eating? I would love to hear from you guys. If you're listening on Spotify, there will be the opportunity to offer some feedback that will come up in this little little box, probably towards the end. 
I don't know exactly how it works. So this is a little bit of a trial and testing out some of the new cool functions that Spotify is offering for podcasters. Okay, guys, now to a listener question. So this listener question is from a Substack supporter. And the person is essentially asking, what do you do when your dietitian prescribes you a meal plan that is just too low? So first of all, it is normal if you are someone who has been quite restricted for some time, might be in risk of refeeding syndrome for a meal plan to start low and then gradually increase. Then again, unfortunately, it is true that some dietitians aren't really quite aware of just how much energy someone in eating disorder recovery really needs and therefore will underprescribe for their patients. What is so important here is, and I know this doesn't feel good, but you have to advocate for yourself. Saying something along the lines of, hey, you know what, I feel quite hungry on this amount. Or, hey, I don't think this is really a sufficient amount considering all the damage I'm repairing, consider I'm working potentially on weight restoration, etc, etc. A good dietitian will listen to you because remember, a dietitian is hired to work with you, not against you. You're on the same team. If you find that your dietitian just seems to be more heavily invested in diet culture and don't really offer you a meal plan that is sufficient intake, then it is also okay to swap dietitians and find someone that is more informed about eating disorders and the unique nutritional needs in terms of amounts that people with eating disorders have in eating disorder recovery. So for more discussion on this exact question about what to do when your practitioners prescribe low intakes and also low goal weights, I have created a bonus podcast episode for paid subscribers if you are interested in listening more in depth about this. There I also shared a bit about why I believe this so often happens. I also have made a podcast episode that is available to all, which is titled When Your Treatment Team Holds You Back. And that one is available for all just wherever you find my podcast. Okay, guys, I hope this helps and I hope that you appreciated my insights. And even if you didn't, at least appreciating that we have different opinions when it comes to mindful eating and eating when someone is recovered and what that entails. I just believe that recovery should be all about normalizing eating. And yes, I understand that in order to get there, there might be a point where eating is anything but normal, right? I know that in recovery, my eating wasn't normal. I was eating way more than most people around me. I was eating at times going through extreme hunger. So it's not necessarily that eating has to be normal just as you start recovery because this can sometimes be become a little bit of a restrictive thing like oh I just want to eat normally and then everything will be fine you may need to go through a period of abnormal eating in terms of amounts in terms of reactive hunger in terms of having to just constantly challenge specific fear foods or in terms of having specific foods that you want to eat all the time and not finding that there is much variety in terms of your cravings right But overall, the end goal, I believe, should be more food freedom rather than more getting hung up in food being so perfect and needing to do it right. But that's just my opinion, I guess. Have an amazing day, everyone, and see you guys soon.